that can divert our focus from our focus on Christ. But it's, it's essential for us, um, and I, I love the songs that, that Frank um, ministered to us on tonight, focusing on the holiness of God. And, you know, when we think of those who encountered the Lord in Scripture, you know, Isaiah, Peter, um, when they encountered God, they were in awe. They weren't like, hey, what's up? How you doing? No. No, they were in awe, and they were speechless. And that's a great uh, model for us as we encounter God through his word, um, in prayer. Really, it's a time for us to be silent, to listen, to learn, um, to reverence him. And that's where the distractions can kind of throw us off from that. Um, again, there are so many things that can create anxiety for us, um, divert our attention from resting in God and worshiping him and, and trusting him. And, and that, that takes time to do that. So... Uh, we're going to start in Hebrews 11, so I'm going to ask you to stand as I read these first two verses. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, familiar passage. But as I'm learning, those familiar passages aren't so familiar because the word of God is alive and powerful. And, and I think we've all had the experience where we've read a passage for years, for decades, and then we're experiencing something in our lives. We read the passage, and it's like, Oh, wow. It's really ministering to me. So, Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, I'm reading from Amplified. Now, faith is the assurance, title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. For by this kind of faith, the men of old gain divine approval. And Father, again, your word is alive. Your word is powerful. Your word searches our hearts. And Father, we want to be doers of your word. We want to, we want to rest in you. We want to abide by what your word has to say to us. And we Thank you for this time in the name of Jesus. Amen. You all may be seated. So faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for. Um, when I was growing up in church and faith was taught, I kind of had the impression is that, you know, I had to have a, a lock, stock, and barrel, no doubt, faith, I have to believe it really hard. And then they kind of threw in the kind of the um, idea of faith of if I believe hard enough for what I want, then I'll get it, you know? So kind of mixing things up. Trusting God, faith, and, and I, I, I like to use the word trust. Trusting God. When, and we can see throughout scripture with different ones, when they um, placed their faith, their trust in God, they didn't know exactly how things would work out. And there were often a lot of questions, but they stood on the fact that God is trustworthy. I can, I can rest in him, I can trust him. Um, and for many of them, they had to build their faith to get to that point. You think of Abraham. When, when God told him, you're going to have a son, he fell on his face laughing. He said, there's no way this is going to happen. Um, a few times with um, you know, the different kings, he told Sarah, tell them you're my sister. Well, that was a half-truth. 
but he was trying to protect himself. But when it got to the point where God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac, his response was, okay. He didn't know exactly how it was going to work out. In fact, you know, I, I think of the scene where Isaac asked him, okay, I see the fire. <laughs> I see the wood. But I don't see the sacrifice. And Abraham simply says, God will provide. Now think of, think of the relationship. Think of the instruction and the modeling that Abraham, Abraham had given to his son Isaac. For, then, for him then to tie his son up on the altar. And scholars believe, and Frank, you can, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, Isaac wasn't a little kid. He was between 17 and maybe 30, something like that. He was a grown man. So he could have easily said, uh, Dad, you're not about to tie me up on this. But he didn't. He submitted to the will of his father. And we know the story. God provided the ram. Again, Abraham didn't know exactly how it was going to happen. But he, he trusted God. All of us experience multiple situations where we are, we're not just asked, but we're commanded to trust God. And that, it's a challenge. W would everyone agree that faith is a challenge? Yeah. Because we don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but we know, we know the character of God. We know that God is faithful. And as I always like to say, God usually works patiently. His timetable is not our own. And that's the thing that's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> we have our plan our idea, our schema. <laughs> I'd like for it to work this way. I want it to be resolved. I want this situation to be resolved in this time frame. And I can hear God saying, ah, 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 that's, that's good. <laughs> that's funny. And I think we can all attest to the fact that God molds us into the image of Christ over time. Sometimes it's excruciating. It's like, oh, this is not happening. It's not happening in my timetable. So, Now, faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed. And the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. For by this kind of faith, the men of old gain divine approval. And, and I'm sure all of you have read the passage, most of you, where the, the different Examples are given of those who rested and trusted and, and the details of them resting and trusting in God. What I am learning to do is in my situations, and, and we even see this, I believe, in Psalm 73, where you know, the author is looking at things that are happening, and basically he's saying through the first portion of it, this is not right. This is not fair. I don't like it. But toward the latter part of the psalm, he, it all makes sense once he fellowships with God. And it's like, oh, that was your plan. Didn't make it any easier for him. And I, I'm beginning to believe that the struggle is part of it. The struggle is part of our development of faith, where we have to think through it. We have to 
we have to go back to the word and say, okay, what does your word say again? What does that passage say again? Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. And apply some of your understanding. I mean, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all. And as, I, as I've heard many people say, in Greek, no, that would be in Hebrew, all means all. And that's a hard thing to do for us at times, where it's, yeah, yeah, I, I know, yeah, I know what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. But our understanding, what our understanding is dictated by our senses. It doesn't look right, it doesn't sound right, it doesn't feel right. Like, but faith says trust and rest, rest in God. This is how I'm, I'm learning how to do it. Situation comes and God, you, you see the situation. I, it either it, it hurts, it's frustrating. This person is not being really cool right now. But God, your word has told me to rest and wait. And God, because I know you're trustworthy, I'm, I'm gonna do that. I need you to guide me through this because But God, I, I want to rest in you. I want to trust you. I want to be obedient to you. All right, let's continue. So I skipped on to verse 6. And see, and this is where it kind of gets us. But without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him for whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Something else I'm, I'm saying a lot more often in my prayers is, and the, the guys in the men's study hear me say this a lot, God, I don't know what to do here. I, I don't know what to do. I have an idea, but typically when I when I implement my ideas, and by the laughter I see that same thing happens to you. <laughs> when I implement my ideas, it don't go well. Sometimes the situation blows up. I get frustrated, other people get frustrated. And then I have to come back and say, okay, God, you wanted me to rest and trust and wait patiently. And as, um, as Amplified defines waiting patiently, you all have heard me say this, not the ability to wait, but how I act while I'm waiting. You all have heard my, uh, my crosswalk analogy, you know, pressing the button. I can wait, I can press the button at the crosswalk and, and wait until the light changes. Or I can. How many presses does it take for to, to be activated? Especially with the electronic ones, where when you know when you press it, the light goes beep. <laughs> it says it, it's been activated, and you just have to wait. But I think we all see it all the time, especially with the electronic ones. Beep. 
Just takes one. Now, let me say this. God does um, encourage us to come to him in prayer frequently. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about anxiety. That's what I'm talking about. Where I've committed a situation to God and then, then I take it back. <laughs> and again, I, I get it. I know. I know. But without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. What is one of the necessities of resting and trusting in God is that we have to have solid theology. The songs that Frank sang that led us, as he led us in worship, those are songs that build our faith. God is holy. The angels cry, God is holy. Uh, in the Isaiah 6 passage, they covered their eyes, they covered their mid parts, and with two wings they flew. And they cried, holy, holy. The post shook as they were crying, holy. To God. The angels were crying, holy, to God. And I know that I often have to be reminded of the holiness of God and the awe. It, Awesome is a word that I don't use a lot. I, don't, I really don't ever use the word awesome, except for God. You know, that game was awesome, man. <laughs> that hot dog was awesome. <laughs> that car was awesome. No, it's, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't awesome. It was cool, it was fun, it was tasty. Only God is awesome. Okay. In Greek, faith is pistis, belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence whether in God or in Christ, springing from faith in the same. Do I have confidence in God? Do I rest and trust? And, and again, our, our faith is always developing. And, and again, here's the rub. It takes trials for our faith to develop. Faith doesn't develop when I'm skipping through the tulips in Central California. One of my favorite things to do is to go to seaside resorts. Pelican Hill, Terranea, if you've ever been there, beautiful places. My faith doesn't develop <laughs> when I'm looking at the waves <laughs> crashing. <laughs> At Terranea. Now, but what it does do is I, as I look out on the cove there at Terranea, I'm like, wow, God, this is beautiful. This is really nice. But yeah, when I'm, when I'm kicked back, kicking back, and especially after I've gotten a massage and I'm standing on the balcony, faith doesn't develop that much now. This is really cool. It's really relaxing. But now faith doesn't develop. It's when I've experienced something very hard. Something painful. And, and I know I have no resources to manage this. I can't handle this. And I have to say, God, 
I don't know what to do. God, I, I want to trust you. I want, you know, I, and I like how Pastor Randy says it. It's not so much what, we, what we're learning. God is molding us and teaching us. He's showing us who he is through these situations. I don't particularly care for trials, but I understand the need for them in my life. Because without them, all of us are spoiled brats. Spoiled brats. Give it to me now. <laughs> and this is the way I want it. And if you don't give it to me this way, send it back until you make it the way I want it. Yeah, that, that, that's not good. That's not good. Okay, let's go to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness. I'm, I'm pausing for a reason. They've testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness faithfulness. Stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. And here it is, looking away from all that will distract us. And there are so many things that will distract us. And here it is. These things aren't necessarily bad. There, there are many good things that can distract us. If, if our focus shifts and that thing becomes my focal point, it can be a good thing, but it can distract me from my devotion to Christ. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Here's a question for all of us to think about. What does a mature faith look like? What does a mature faith look like? Well, one thing is when, when trials come, not if, but when they come, We go to God. Okay, God. And I, I love the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus acknowledged the pain. We all experience things that hurt. And for me to say about that thing that hurts, oh, that didn't hurt, that's not being authentic. If I went around the room, and I know a lot of stories around the room, there's some things that we've experienced that have hurt. That have hurt. Both physically and emotionally and spiritually. But when we think that our God is loving. He is kind. You all have heard me say this many, many times. The six hours after my wife died, opened my Bible, Psalm 145 and 17, which says, God is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds, six hours after my wife died. And I looked at that passage. 
as I'm in a daze, you know, I close my Bible, I put it down, and, and I said, okay. Like you said, Hilario, okay. <laughs> okay. I said, okay. I didn't know how that was going to work out for me personally. Because a few hours later, I took my dog for a walk, went out to the main street and collapsed sobbing. Because I was just overwhelmed with grief. Many days afterwards, like, <laughs> what is this? Thankfully, I never got bitter. I was sad. I was hurt. I got depressed. But I never, I never went to bitterness. But that, I believe God directed me to that passage because I, I needed to know at that time that God is righteous in all his ways. And, and I also said, I said, okay, God, I, I guess this is an act of your kindness. Doesn't feel like it. But, yeah, but I guess so. Ten years later, the passage was spot on. God has used that to mold me into a different person. Um. I'm thankful for the experiences that I've had, and one of them is our grief ministry here. It, it is just wonderful to, to see people crying out to God in their grief. Because when you're, when you're grieving, there's only one place to look. like I, that's where you know I, I don't have anything to offer in this situation <laughs> I, I can't do this God I need you I, I can't figure it out one thing that really I guess hurt me during the time my wife had breast cancer and the fact that I couldn't do anything to help her couldn't do a thing. But again, knowing that God is faithful. So looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross? For the joy, a contradiction in terms seemingly, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was tortured on his way and on the, he was tortured and he en he endured that with joy knowing the end result that we would be reconciled to the father and not only was it painful physically and relationally because he he had to be separated from his father How many here have suffered through a breakup of a relationship? Can I see some hands? Right. But you, but you know why I'm saying that, right? How did that breakup feel? Pretty bad, huh? Pretty bad. I remember I was about 19 in college. And 
had had a little girlfriend and and she broke up with me. I went home, I went in my bedroom and I cried on my bed. Devastated. <laughs> well, when you're 19, when you're 19, yeah. It, it's like my world is over. <laughs> but now, at 53, I laugh at that. Because I experienced some things a little worse than that. For the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Crucifixion was, at that time, one of, if not the most shameful death, uh, form of death one could experience. Um, bodies were often left to rot so that passers-by would say, oh, not going to do that. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it all in comparison with your trials. I, and I, I do this um, at times when you know I'm going through something that's really tough and I think, uh, I wasn't, I haven't been scourged. No one's been spitting on me. No one's been punching me in the face and plucking out my beard. And I, I, I think I'll be okay. I think I'll be all right. No one is laughing at me as I'm suffering and taunting me and saying, ah, you saved others, you can't save yourself. And even with that, all that they were doing, Jesus said, and I, I used to think he just said it once, but one of the verses says he repeatedly said, Father, forgive them, for they know not. Huh? <laughs> what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Yes, trials are hard. Trials are challenging. By definition, that's why they're called trials. They're hard. But compared to what Jesus experienced, yeah, I'm good. And then knowing that it's those trials that mold us into the image of Christ. That remind us to focus on Jesus. And see, and this is why it is essential that our focus remains on Jesus. Because no one else would do this for us. You know, the old saying, um, what is it? Um, if it's too hot in the kitchen, get a new pant. No, that, I'm making that up. <laughs> if you can't, that's it. If you can't stand the heat, <laughs> turn the fire down. <laughs> Let me segue here. I'm sure you all heard Norman Lear died yesterday. Norman Lear, producer, all in the family, Jefferson's, good times. He was 101, yes. Um, 
I say that, it has nothing to do with the message. I'm, I'm just throwing this out there. You know, different ones who pass away, because, you know, I, I grew up watching all in the family, Jeffersons, Good Times, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, all these people are passing away. That's a part of my childhood. It's like, wow. And then when I think that this stuff was on TV 50 years ago, like, and I was watching it? Well, not as a three-year-old, but, you know. Okay, let's get back to the word. <laughs> let's go to James 1. Okay, time check. Um, this passage in James 1 has, has been resonating with me probably the last month. And again, this is a passage I've been reading for years. But let's, let's dive in. But prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts, and not merely listeners who hear the word, but fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. Okay. Pastor Randy says this a lot. It, it's not the word per se that changes hearts it's the application of it because if i'm reading it and not doing it i'm messing with myself i'm deluding myself reading the word and saying oh yeah i know that passage oh yeah yeah, yeah i know that one and here's a big one Forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is throughout Scripture. And if we're not careful, we can read about forgiveness, and then we get to an opportunity, an occasion where we need to forgive, and it's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Because they meant it, you know. And so, no, no, I, I'm not going to forgive. When I do that continually, I'm deluding myself because what I'm saying is I have a better idea than God. God has commanded me to do this, and I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, hmm, no, I think I have a better plan. And doesn't that sound ridiculous? But we've all done that, right? We've all done that. We've read a passage. It's like, hmm, that's too hard. <laughs> That's too hard. I don't want to do that one. I'll do that other stuff. I don't, I'm, no, I'm not doing that forgiveness thing. Because they, oh, no. You don't, I've heard people say, you don't know what they did to me. Okay. Uh. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he is like a man who looks very carefully at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what he looked like. But he who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and faithfully abides by it, not having become a careless listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys, he will be blessed and favored by God in what he does in his life of obedience. Now, as I said, we all, there are all cha very challenging passages that we can read. And we have a choice when we encounter those. But another I guess a mistake we can make is when we can read a passage and say, you know what, they need to do that. <laughs> That's a good one for them. They really need to do that one. Well, that may be true, but am I doing it? Am I applying it? 
If anyone thinks himself to be religious, scrupulously observant of the rituals of his faith and does not control his tongue, uh-oh, uh-oh, somebody scored. What happened? Oh, the Yankees got Juan Soto from the Padres. <laughs> it's like, who? What? Frank, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? No? Okay. <laughs> yeah, baseball. Thank you. Juan Soto was an outfielder for the Padres. He's now, he's been traded to the Yankees. <laughs> I know. Go, got, go Dodgers. They're still trying to get Shohei. Um, okay. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, scrupulously observant of the rituals of his faith and does not control his tongue, but dilute another one. And it doesn't have to be profanity. It can be sarcasm. It can be talking too much. It can be wanting, needing to have the last word. It says, if I don't control my tongue, I'm deluding my heart. This person's religion is worthless. You like the way I said that? Worthless. See, the, these are passages that are providing foundational truth for us. And I can run right by it. And I can continue to have the last word in my conversations. And, and again, I, I'm all about joking and having fun and all that kind of stuff. But, but when, it, when there's an evil intent in my heart, and I'm, I want to embarrass someone. or I, That means I'm not controlling my tongue. And there's something deeper that needs to be addressed in my heart. There's a reason why God has preserved these passages for us. Because he wants us to be intimate with him. He wants us to experience his peace. Why am I hopping around? <laughs> okay, 1 Corinthians 10. We must not tempt the Lord, that is, test his patience. <laughs> Question his purpose. Or exploit his goodness. I've done all three. How about you? I've tested his patience. Ooh, questioning his purpose. God, why are, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this in my life? It's not fair. God, they don't even serve you, and they're, I mean, that's what the, the author of Psalm 73 was going through. He's like, now wait a minute. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He's looking at those who, do, who didn't know the Lord. He's saying, now wait a minute, God. I've been serving you, trusting you, resting in you. And these people are rich. They don't have a care in the world. They're skipping about going on their merry way. And I'm suffering here. Questioning God's purpose. Ooh, exploiting his goodness. I think we all know what that looks like. As some of them did, and they were killed by serpents. Ooh, here's another one. And do not murmur <laughs> in unwarranted discontent, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Here's something else I'm learning to do. Uh, when, when trials present themselves or things that are frustrating to me, 
I'm learning to say, again, to acknowledge the pain of it, God, yeah, this, is, ah, this is, isn't the most comfortable thing, but, but God, I thank you. God, I worship you during this. You're, you're working something out in me. You're doing something. And God, I thank you. Still don't exactly like what's going on right now, but, but I know, God, you're faithful. Okay, here's, here's another analogy. <coughs> Patty, how long in y have you and Mike been married? 34 years, okay. Uh, when you guys met and started dating and decided to get married, did you know him as well as you know him now? <laughs> Work with me, Patty. <laughs> the longer we're in relationship with someone, the deeper we know them. The more we should be able to trust them. The more comfortable yeah. Now, with that, we have to be careful with becoming comfortable. What is it? What is the saying? Um, familiarity breeds contempt. We have to be careful in our relationship with the Lord that we maintain that awe of Him, and Jesus is not my buddy that I got a sandwich with on the corner. You know, He's not the man upstairs. He is the holy, righteous creator of the universe who requires worship. Okay. Do not murmur in unwarranted discontent as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as an example and warning to us. Note to self, don't murmur. Note to self, don't complain. They were written for our instruction to admonish and equip us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let the one, ah, here's another one. Therefore, let the one who thinks he stands firm, immune to temptation, being overconfident and self-righteous, take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. Um, because we have wicked hearts, we have hearts that can easily be misled if, if, we're not, if we're not focusing on Christ. We can get to the point where we're like, I'm good. I'm good. That may be a problem for you, but it's not a problem for me. God hates pride. He hates pride. Because what pride says, really what pride says is, God, I don't need you. I, I can do this all by myself. Uh, God, you know, you, you did a pretty cool job with creating the earth and the stars and all that stuff. But I'll take care of this. <laughs> I, I know someone who said, um, this was before he came to the Lord. He said he would w wake up every morning. He would say, God, you took care of everything at night. I'll take over from. <laughs> he said, I'll take it from here. He, he was a, a wealthy businessman kind of guy. So he's like, yeah, God, I, I got it from here. I'll take it. And then he turned back over to God at night. God, you take the night and I'll. In the morning, I'll, I'll take it over. I'll, I'll take care of it. I got it. I got this, God. I got it. <laughs> he, he laughs at it now. But you know, sometimes our actions can communicate that. God, I got this. 
Acates. I got this. I know how to handle it. And pride is subtle. It doesn't just happen all of a sudden. It, it slowly steps in. Um, I know there have been times where I've stopped, because I don't think any of us realize when pride starts to pop up in us, but then after a while, it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Man, I've been prideful. I'm looking down my nose at someone. Or I'm thinking, oh, I wouldn't do that. I'd never do that. Yeah, that's a problem for you, but no, I, I don't have that problem. Okay. No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you. That is not common to human experience, nor is... Nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance, but God is faithful to his word. He is compassionate and trustworthy. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation, he will, uh, he has in the past and is now and will always provide the way out as well so that you will be able to endure it without yielding and will overcome temptation with joy. One of the, in fact, let's, let's go over to Hebrews 4. I love this passage. Well, I love all the passages, but this one's good, too. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. Okay, starting at verse 14, and listen carefully to this. Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may find, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Translation, Jesus is saying, come to me when you've messed up. Come with confidence when you've messed up, because I understand what it's like to be human. I know the challenges you face. I get you. So please come to me when you messed up. But guess what we do? We hide. When we mess up, it's like, ooh, whoa. I used to pray years ago, I used to pray what I thought God wanted me to say. Not realizing, uh, uh, he knows my heart anyway. So I'm not hiding anything from him. So when I come to God, again, we use that analogy of a relationship, in, when there's transparency, vulnerability, intimacy, emotional intimacy in a relationship, a husband and wife can come to each other and say, man, I messed up, I'm sorry. And that partner accepts them. And that's what the Lord is saying to us. Come to me when you've messed up. But I think we, sometimes we can flip it. I'll come to you when I'm doing well. When everything's cool, God, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm doing it well. <laughs> but when we mess up, it's a ooh, uh, ooh. 
But the Lord is saying, no, please come when you've messed up and offer. Look at the, uh, this is why I love that account of the woman caught in the act of adultery. The scribes and Pharisees are eager to kill her. Not for her sake, but just to get to Jesus. They're willing to sacrifice her to get to Jesus. But he is kind to her. And we can gather from the context of the passage that when all the, all the guys left and they dropped their rocks, he had to call her attention because I assume she was waiting for the first rock to hit her. And he, he says, hey, where are your accusers? I can see her lifting her head like, where'd those guys go? He says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Wow. Wow. I have to imagine she left that encounter as a changed person. She experienced the grace of God. And I also love how even he was ministering to the scribes and Pharisees because he knelt quietly and I can hear them, I can see them yelling at him, what are you going to do? Oh, and I want to see what he wrote on the ground. What did he write that shut them down? And I have to believe that some of them left and said, man, I did that all wrong. And can you imagine the, the eyes, the eternal eyes of God looking you in the eye as you're trying to deceive someone and Jesus is looking at you. And I, again, I used to look at this passage and think that God was like, get him, get him, God, get him. But I think the Lord was saying, like, come on, guys. We, we don't have to do it like this. And imploring them, let's, let's think about this a different way. Oh, time check. I need to wrap this up. Okay, let's see. Um, okay, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, run, keep far away from any sort of idolatry. That includes loving anything more than God or participating in anything that leads to sin and enslaves the soul. I am speaking as to wise and sensible people. Judge carefully and thoughtfully consider for yourselves what I say. The Lord wants us to fix our gaze on him. You know, was it 2020? That was probably, wow, that was probably like 25 years ago. You know, the WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus have me to do? Let, let's do that acronym. What WW? Well, but what would G H? Me. <laughs> I'm trying to write it down so we can do a new bracelet. W-W-J-H-M-T-D. There you go. Somebody, somebody write that down. <laughs> Let's mass market that. <laughs> what would Jesus have me to do? How would he have me to respond? to this person who's standing in front of me. That sarcastic thing that I want to say, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Instead, provide a blessing. Hey, Father, we, we worship you. Lord, we praise you. We 
We thank you for your love, your eternal love. A love that transcends what we know. A love that challenges us. Lord, we are thankful that, um, that you love us, that you care for us. We are thankful that you are awesome and that we can fix our eyes on you and obey you and trust you and rest in you and experience your peace through the trials. We just praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.